0: Hello, everyone. All of us here at the Maker Skills podcast would like to send our condolences out to Aaron Matias' family uh, and to Jimmy. Uh, Tom and I had the pleasure of meeting Aaron at Tony's slip and slide party in person, um, but we, we had contact with him um, through the internet, just like most of everybody out there. And uh, we're feeling the loss just as much as all of you. So thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 43. Of the skill topic for the day is haggling, it's an essential skill. Pretty much everybody. It doesn't matter what you do, At some point in life you're going to have to haggle. Tom, what skill class is haggling?
1: Uh, I think we're going to go with a 9, but I think I could get a better price on it.
0: That sounds about right. Yeah. Tanda, what research did you do on haggling?
2: I uh, I just opened up a thesaurus online and I saw a few different synonyms for haggling. And uh, that's that's how much research I've done this week on on haggling.
0: It sounds like you're taking over for Tom.
2: So so I've kind of had a haggling haggling deficit, and I'm not sure if uh, I mean you know Tom and I can can haggle over it. But I think that uh, that I'm allowed one every uh, every four episodes. I'm not sure if I've used uh, two up here, but I think I can borrow from a future uh, lack of research. I don't know if that's true. Is that true, Tom? Yes, okay, so I'm of I'm kind of borrowing against a future uh, I didn't do any research. Is that where
0: you showed up late,
2: Tanda? No, no, I just uh, you were asking me questions when I was trying to research before the podcast and you just kept interrupting my research time and uh, and so I wasn't able to do much uh, effective research. but I did read an article about uh, Marvin Hagler. the boxer. Yeah, yeah, so there was that, but no one wants to hear about that.
0: That's okay. I'll take the blame. I, yeah. I, I'm very distracting. I understand. I understand. He, did,
2: he did once say that if you cut open his head, you'd find a boxing glove inside.
0: That's disturbing. Which
2: was an unusual uh, quote. But, uh, yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, Tom? Yeah, just a minute. I'm doing some research. I'm doing uh, research right now. Hold on. Right now. I need I need a minute.
0: While Tom is researching while we're recording the show, let me go to my research on <laughs> haggling. <laughs> Hey,
2: you've, sidebar. Tom? Yeah, of course it's me. What's up? I, I think between my delay and Tom going, y- you can you can knock this out. Yeah, I bet so, I can
1: find something pretty good.
2: Yeah, so, so this worked pretty well.
1: Oh, the, oh yeah, there's PJ. I'm he, sure he has right. something. Yeah, superstitions most likely.
0: So weirdly enough, it was very – I thought I was going to find some haggling superstitions, and there was nothing. Uh, haggling is – very weird for research. But what I did find was something I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, there was a website that was talking about traveling around the world and where, if you're traveling to other countries, how much you should haggle in that country. Like, what is the percentage that, that you can get? And I, th- I found this kind of fascinating because I've not haggled in other countries before. Uh, if you go to China... You can negotiate up to ninety percent. You can you can you can pay ten percent of the asking price in China. I found that fantastic. I was like, wow, I need to go to China. It's like a
2: dream, right? Yeah. Have you, have you followed Strange Parts? Are you familiar with the the YouTube channel Strange Parts?
0: No, but I have a lot of strange parts in the shop. Does that count?
2: Yeah. Now he's he actually lives here in New Mexico now, but he did a lot of episodes in China building cell phones from parts and building iPhones and stuff all from parts that he bought in the markets in China. So some interesting stuff. All right. Uh, no, I, I, don't, I don't know who that is, but but that's okay. Uh, moving
0: right, right along, uh, if you go to India, you can negotiate up to 70% off uh, on everything, including pieces of fruit. They barter for everything. And wow. then we go to Thailand uh, where... Apparently, haggling is part of the charm of visiting Bangkok's many streets. 50% off in Thailand. Uh, then for some reason, Morocco, Tunisia, and Egypt all get bundled together, even though I'm pretty sure they're not next to one another. Not Geography is not my strong suit. But again, 50%. And uh, the street sellers will serve up mint tea and offer chairs to their customers because the process can take a long time to drive down their prices so the haggling becomes like a full event and the only thing that you can't haggle on over there apparently is food but everything else is negotiable uh dubai is a uh, 50% it says to start low but aim at getting up to 50% greece is also at 50% although with the introduction of the euro uh, the bartering isn't quite as common uh, in, unless you go to uh, independent shops. So that, that must have hurt him a little bit. This I found kind of interesting. In Mexico, it is 25% to 50%, but you have to use pesos over dollars if you want to get more value for your money. Uh, if you get the, use pesos, you can drop it an extra 25%, but you have to be persistent. And you might get a glass of tequila in some shops. I, I don't want the tequila, but that's that's what they're saying. In Turkey, 40%. But don't make an offer until after the shopkeeper has stated their price. So keep that in mind. Uh, South Africa is 40%, but it's easier to get the 40% discount at the end of the day. You start at the beginning of the day, apparently you're not getting nothing. I love how they generalize all this stuff, too. It's like everybody in the whole country agrees to it. Mm-hmm. Spain is up to 40%, um, but again, well, this is a double deal. The vendors will slash prices at the start of the day and the end of the day, but not in the middle, and you need to be polite but persistent. Good tips.
1: Hmm. That is right. interesting.
2: I wonder, I mean, at the end of the day, I could understand, because um, if they you know, have to haul their wares in and out of a shop or something— but at the beginning of the day, it's I'm not sure why you would do that.
0: I I, I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell Competition's you. Competition's higher. Could be. Hmm. So in Peru, you can get 20 to 40 percent off. 20 uh, percent off for smaller items, and 40 percent off for bigger ticket items, like um, alpaca wool jumpers and blankets. But you got to care. Be careful because there is an 18 percent sales tax, which applies to almost everything. So. You might be getting a discount, but it might just come right back on there. Right. Uh, In Bali, it's 30%, but you have to arrive before midday and ask for the morning price, which is cheaper. This is, again, the start of the day. I don't quite understand that. Uh, But it's also good to go to places off the beaten path and stay away from tour groups because the tour guide is probably pocketing a commission for the places that he's taking you to from the vendors which I gotta agree with that. I don't like buying touristy stuff. Uh, Then we got Brazil, which is 20%, but you only get that if you're buying in bulk. And lastly, we have Japan, which is a lowly 10%, but they, by law, have to put their prices on all their goods, and so the discounts will be very close to the asking price because what you see is what you get basically there. And and that's it. I I thought that was kind of an interesting breakdown. I've never quite seen something like that before. But apparently the place to go is either China or India, um,
1: if you like to haggle. Tom, did you find anything while I covered for you? I didn't find what I wanted. I think it's a myth. I think think this is a myth. So we all grew up with the incorrect knowledge that everything in America was purchased from the Indians for trinkets. And I'm sure some of that's true. But a lot of the land was just simply taken, right? Uh, Like Manhattan was purchased for like $24 and some glass beads. You've heard these things? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The internet doesn't seem to know anything about them, at least in a bite-sized way that I can regurgitate to you here. Uh, The town I live in was purchased for a a kettle. Like who even knows what a kettle is anymore? Not a tea kettle. I'm Googling kettle now.
0: Kettle is like a cauldron, but smaller.
1: It is like a cauldron. That's what I always imagined. Um, and like, like it was told to us in elementary school, like we're supposed to be like happy or or, or proud or or like, oh, that's a cute anecdote about how we stole things from people. Um, but that's all I got, man. Uh, I looked up superstitions also, and there really aren't any. There are a lot of good tips out there, and I even saw some some haggling don'ts, which we can get into later.
2: All right, that's pretty good. We got a good deal on on Alaska we paid something like 2 cents an acre.
1: Wasn't that the Russians though?
2: When we purchased Alaska from Russia from Russia. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, you're allowed so to. That steal was stuff from Russia though. That's perfectly fine.
2: That was that was pretty good. When I when I was in Russia, if you had if you had US uh, made jeans and tennis shoes, you could buy mo- most most anything.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, I think you still can.
2: Much much better than having pesos. You could you could trade your shoes and your jeans for 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 almost anything.
0: You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. All right. So the deals that I have for you are actually continued from last week because we had that week off. And so there was a backlog of deals. And we're starting out with the deluxe double deal. This all happened on the same day, although I don't have one of the items. I was watching an auction that was taking place in upstate New York was an online auction for a (laughs) the creme de la creme of the gray whales a 1950s 14-inch delta wood cutting bandsaw with a cast iron base this is this is the one that everybody wants and I was watching this auction and it was going on they had like 800 lots so it started in the morning and it was going throughout the day and on the off chance that I was going to get it, I had roped Tony Rouleau into this whole process, and he was also bidding on something. So the two of us were like going back and forth all day long. While this is happening, I happened to check Facebook Marketplace, and this woman had put up an ad, and it said two bench vices, $35. And it had a really bad picture from the top, facing down. So you're, you're seeing like the jaws and the anvils. And the first thing I saw was a four-inch bullet vise for $35. That was half of $35. I'm like, wow. okay, um, I'll take that. So I sent a message. The woman's like, okay. The other vise looked like a piece of garbage. It looked like the one jaw had been welded on. And I ended up going there. And they, they had two um, a Craftsman circular saw and a Ryobi circular saw That I ended up getting for uh, twenty bucks. They wanted twenty five, but I got both for twenty. So anyway, I went and I got it. And when I picked it up, um, the the vice that I thought was a piece of garbage was actually a Wilton Mechanics vice, and it was a six inch vice, and it weighed twice as much as the bullet vice. Wow. This is this is like a serious heavy duty like boat anchor. This thing was massive. Uh, So two Wilton vices for $35. That's actually the first bullet vice I've paid for. That's unheard of. And then after that um, by the way, I should point out that this auction in upstate New York was a lot of big machinery like it, they were they were selling like a it was like a 3,000 gallon boiler. like it was stuff like that. They had all kinds of gigantic machines. They had a 24 inch um, old, old American um, or it was a Yates jointer that went for like $2,000. So Tony and I are watching, like everything is going for crazy prices. And then it got to my bandsaw, and I ended up getting it for $200. Bucks. I was completely shocked. I thought it was going to go for a crazy amount of money. But then uh, the bane of online auctions is, with the taxes and extra fees and everything, it was another $52. So it was 252 But for a cast-iron Delta which Tony was willing to pick up for me, I was like, ah, oh, this is the best deal ever. I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. So that's waiting for me. That was the the deluxe double deal. Then we had the Jive Jersey biscuit deal. I had to make a trip last week and I ended up in North Brunswick, New Jersey. And uh, there was an old guy named Michael, about, I don't know, 200 years old. And he was moving out of his house and he was selling, uh, his daughter had put up a 1952 Delta floor model drill press uh, for sale for 50 bucks, And I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's fantastic. I, I see Walker Turners all the time, but I almost never can get a hold of a Delta for a good deal. So I drove there, and the first thing I see when I walk in to look at it is that there is a 6-inch Wilton drill press vise that's a quick release sitting on the table. And I, I go to touch it. It, it. Tom is making like a choo-choo conductor arm motion. Well, I
1: was trying to stop you. Is it one, uh, with like the cam locking lever? No. Oh, okay.
0: And I, I said, oh, look at that vice. And he goes, oh, that goes with the drill. And I just stared at him like, oh, oh, it does. Thank, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like vices. And so he's like, oh, I got other stuff for sale. So then I looked in a box on the floor and there was a a three-inch Stanley clamp-on vise, and I'm like, oh, how much for that right there? He goes, ah, five bucks. I'm like, oh, the high prices here. Uh, He had a a set of uh, Vaco T-handle hex wrenches, 10 bucks, Uh, roll-up auger bit set of 14, 10 bucks, and then Morse and Greenlee tap-and-die set, five bucks. So all this stuff was like super cheap. And um, I said, I said, Michael, does this drill press have a story? And he said, well, I used to work at the Sunshine Biscuit Company, who I've I've never heard of. And I I said, "Okay," And he said, well, this was there and they were modernizing the equipment and they were going to throw this in a dumpster. So I took it home. And I told him, I said, man, I said, that hurts my heart when I hear that kind of stuff. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The machine was in pristine condition. Other than being dirty, it ran really good. Uh, the only downside was that the original Rockwell Delta motor was gone and somebody had installed um, a general electric motor. Other than that, it was, it's in really good condition, has the industrial base. Uh, so that was, that was the, the jive Jersey biscuit deal. Then I swung around to Philadelphia. Uh, Dave from Parts and Restoration had told me about this deal. Um, a fireman buddy of his, his grandfather died a couple years ago, and they just now got around to selling the house. And there, there was a basement full of tools, and several people had already been through the basement. It's not like I was, th- I was like the last in a long line of people. Dave had already gone through and gotten a bunch of stuff. And uh, he got like a bunch of wrenches and axes and stuff for like 200 bucks. He's done stories about it. So anyway, I get there and um, I deal with Big Bill and Little Bill. the so a father and son. And then the, the wife who it was her, her father that had passed away it was Tina. And so they took me down into the basement. And this is like ugh. there was nothing that was a gold mine down there, but there was a lot of little stuff uh, here and there. Tom found the Sunshine Biscuits factory. It looks like a big hotel. That's interesting.
1: <laughs> their, their marketing actually says Sunshine Biscuits from the bakery with a thousand windows. And this bakery has a thousand windows.
0: <laughs> that definitely has a thousand windows. That, I haven't seen that many windows intact in quite some time. Anyway, uh, what I ended up picking up, just kind of the highlights because it was a lot of garbage here. But I got a Craftsman 4-inch jointer. A Craftsman 3x21 belt sander, Craftsman 6.5-inch uh, all-aluminum circular saw from the 1960s with a cool clamshell case. So the whole thing opened like a doctor's bag, but as you opened it, it raised up the saw on a, like a little elevator. It was very, very cool. Some Black & Decker mustard jigsaw, mustard drill. A uh, gray and silver drill. like there was a bunch of black and decker stuff that was literally in a garbage can. There was two brass blow torches. I found a box of seventeen bit and brace augers. So this is the same same day, another full set of uh, bit and brace augers. Uh, a cigar box full of light switch covers mostly brass but the thing that was interesting about that is you know my love for two-button switches well there was probably about 20 two-button brass switch covers which I don't have any of I found another Union toolbox uh, a roll of God knows how many feet of copper mesh wire and then there was a bunch of other little things I found like punches chisels uh, old nuts and bolts that I'm not going to go into details But I had a modest pile that I had put on the floor and I knew that David paid 200 bucks, which was, in my opinion, way too much. And so I'd been um, like talking these guys up the entire time. I was there for about an hour and a half. And so I said, what are you guys thinking? And they're like, oh, we don't know. Uh, What are you thinking? And I'm like, "Eh, I'm thinking like 50 bucks. (laughs) And they're like, well, we don't. We don't know what anything is worth. All we know is what Dave paid, and Dave paid us two hundred dollars. And I said, Yeah, I saw what Dave bought. He overpaid. <laughs> and they just started laughing. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I buy this stuff all the time. That's why I started at fifty. And then the younger son is he's like, the younger Bill, he's like, Well, could you do seventy five? I'm like, Yeah, sure. I do seventy five. I'm just trying to help you guys out. $75 is fine. So I gave him seventy five bucks and they were thrilled. So there was that. And then the last deal I got was just a couple days ago, and uh, Tom's not going to believe me on this one. but I don't believe you. uh, The guy's name is Pumpkin Longshanks. Stop it. I swear to God, Pumpkin Longshanks. Stop it. Yeah. He's a pirate cat. Tom is rubbing his forehead. I think he's having an aneurysm. This was sent to me by Kyle. He found it. It was a free 14-inch bandsaw. But he said that he didn't want to go get it because he was afraid of pumpkin longshanks. He didn't, he didn't, the guy was, I don't know, there was no picture of the guy, but you know, the name alone kind of kept him away. So anyway, I messaged him uh, and was one of these guys where he's like, text me and he gives his phone number. But of course, Facebook hides the number, so you can't text. So I just kept sending him messages. I'm like, yeah, I can't text you. Your number's hidden. I want it. And it was like me and like 18 other guys. And so then he texts me. He's like, here's my phone number. Text me if you want it. <laughs> so I text him and I'm like, I can come get it like right now and, or, or today. I can come get it today. And he's like, okay. Uh, I said, what's your address? And so he gives me the address. And I said, how about seven o'clock? He's like, yeah, that's fine. He says, you're, you're, you're the first one to answer. All these other guys can, you know, I'll just tell them it's sold. So I drive down there. The guy's name is Zach. And I said, I said, what's with the pumpkin longshanks? And he goes, well, I, I worked, was in the military and I was a reporter and I needed a pen name so that the guys didn't beat me up when I, you know, posted things in the, the, the local, you know, our, our paper. I don't want people to know it was me. So I just typed in like a random name generator on the internet and that's what it came up with. And I'm like, you know, that sounds like a pirate cat, right? And he goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> this is what I like. <laughs> so... Anyway, uh, this this was a really cool dude. He was a machinist by trade. His, his shop was set up like a machinist shop, but he had like some blacksmithing stuff and some woodworking stuff. And um, he was like an um, white dude, a little bit younger than me, with dreadlocks down halfway down his back. He was like vaping the whole time we're talking. And we're just BSing. And I tell him what I do, you know, with the fixing the machines and everything. he's like, oh man, it's too bad you didn't get here earlier. I could have taken you to blankety-blank. I'm saying blankety-blank because I don't want anybody to know where this place is. There is an Amish-run junkyard. And he said, yeah, they just got in a shipment of Buffalo, old vintage Buffalo drill presses. I'm like, really? He said, yeah. And he says, and they've got lots of scrap metal. Like, if you need structural steel, they've got tons of it there. And if you need, like, a certain shape, they'll just cut it for you. And he says, and he says their prices are great, but it's Amish runs. So they're they're real stern. Like it's if they say something, they're not going to budge on the price, unless you're a pretty girl. If you're a pretty girl, they'll budge on the price. So anyway, I, I'm talking to him and talking to him. He's like, hey man, I'm probably going to go like in the next couple of days. I'll take some pictures, and if I find something, I'll shoot them over to you. And if you want it, I'll just grab it and bring it back here. You can just come get it from me. And I'm like, oh man, that's fantastic. Thank you. And he's like, yeah, I've been trying to get a Bridgeport forever, but I can't find one that's like less than five thousand dollars. I'm like, oh, I can find you Bridgeport. I see them all the time. So I've been sending him like Bridgeport Bridgeport mill listings uh, on Facebook, but he he does not want the J head. He wants the one where it's the uh, like Chris Zep has, where it's the adjustable speed. Uh, the J head is apparently oh. the kind where you have mm-hmm. to change the belts. So mm,
1: it's still a J head. It's just a bigger one.
0: Well. That's what he wants. So anyway, um, I now know where this place is, and uh, it, it is it is an untapped gold mine for me. And uh, and then I, I told I was on the way home, and I told Kyle about it while I was driving home, and he goes, "Oh yeah, that's the place that Bill keeps telling me about." And Bill is the guy that Kyle has been like emptying out this guy's shop. He's been closing down his woodworking shop for two years. I mentioned it before. But anyway, he's like, he's like, yeah, that's that's where Bill keeps getting all his good stuff from, and I'm like, why why didn't you tell me about this
2: before? <laughs> the the guy that's trying to empty out his shop uh, keeps getting more stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's basically <laughs> it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that was it. Those were all the deals. Um, it was definitely a good string of things with those deals hot enough for you you got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket send it in maybe we'll read it on air all right tom what's your personal history with haggling
1: i'd say it really got started like six or seven years ago maybe six closer to six years ago when we moved back to connecticut and i wanted more tools i wanted I had a bigger space uh, with, the, with the house that we purchased, and I wanted more tools. And the very first tools I bought were a 1947 Delta Unisaw and a, I think, an 80s or 90s Delta 15-inch planer. And I paid $1,500 for the combo, which was way too much. But they were the first things I bought secondhand uh, for the shop. And since then, I've learned a lot. Um, in that, in the year and a half that preceded that, or not preceded that, I'm sorry, followed that, <clears throat> I kept a profit and loss statement, and I spent six grand on tools. And sold, out of the tools that I bought, I kept an entire workshop, and I, and I sold uh, $6,400 worth of tools. So that was my education on haggling and finding the deal that's really where I got started. I mean, we always did garage sales, tag sales in Connecticut, that's what they're called. Growing up, uh, we even went to some. We even, I don't know, I remember having them in our yard. And I don't remember there being an emphasis on haggling or things like that. I just remember we got to buy cheap stuff, and we got to sold stuff we didn't want anymore. That's kind of all I remember from the early years. And since that year and a half went by, uh, you know, we're four, five years later, I just keep doing it because it's so, there's just money laying around on the internet that you can go get. Sounds about right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tanda, what about you? What's your personal history with haggling?
2: I have no haggling history whatsoever. So I guess my time to to learn how to haggle is, is yet to come. Growing up, I don't really remember my dad like haggling for things i mean he would he would occasionally ask people what something was worth or you know we would buy a used piece of equipment or something and there might be a little well let me think about it or that seems a little high or something and then you know a couple you know weeks later or something he'd ask again or um but i don't really remember growing up in a environment of haggling with maybe one exception and i remember and this this may be distorted just because when you're young, time and you're bored, time seems to drag on. But I remember going to buy a truck at the local dealership once, and before they arrived at a price, it it seemed like it was two or three hours to me. And as an adult, knowing sometimes how long it takes to go through paperwork and stuff to buy a car, maybe that was a big portion of it that was that, and I just thought that, you know, that they were negotiating a price for that whole time. But I can remember just kind of like being at the dealership all day long. And if you've ever taken kids with you to buy a vehicle or, you know, a house or anything where you've had to do paperwork, it it's a really boring thing for kids. So that that may be distorted. But uh, I'm not, you know, I, I tend to pay, I tend to look for a good price. And if I think it's a good price, I pay it. And I'm, I'm not much of a haggler. So I don't, uh, don't have much of a history.
1: <clears throat> Sucker. PJ, what's your personal history with uh, So, haggling?
0: I have a very interesting history. Um, my father would haggle for things, but I didn't really understand what was happening because I was little. So what I remember is he would go up to people and he would be super friendly and happy. Like, they were his best friend. And I always seemed like everywhere we went, my father knew everybody. That's that's how it felt. Like, wherever we went, it was like he was going to meet his best buddy. And everybody was always happy to see him. He ended up getting a lot of deals that way. And uh, like I said, I didn't realize what was happening. But subliminally, I think it was sort of filtering in. And then I didn't really have a lot of confidence as a kid going into like high school and everything. So I think for haggling, it takes confidence. You have to believe in yourself in order to haggle. And it wasn't something... That wasn't really my strong suit at that point. But I started to build it uh, little by little. And it wasn't until I started sales jobs that all of a sudden I saw behind the curtain. One of the, I would say, probably the most impactful sales job I had was I worked for a company that sold cutlery. They had an intensive training program. They taught you really like the behind the scenes inner workings of what you say and how it affects people and what would make them want to buy something from you. But if you look at that in reverse, you see how to get better deals by just saying specific things. And very slowly over time, that started to translate. Like Tanda was talking about um, buying a car. I can get the cheapest deal on a car possible. And I've done it. I've done it. Because the main thing with car dealerships is they have quotas. Is you have to understand the situation that you're going into. Car dealerships have quotas. End of the month is critical for them, because that's when their quotas are due. So if you come at the end of the month... And you're asking to buy a car and they throw you a number and then you basically like, oh, that's too much. And you get up to walk out like you're going to leave. One of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to be like, oh, wait, wait, we can do better. And they're going to call you back in there. Or if they have your phone number, they will call you the next day with a better offer. So you can get if you understand the system, you can really get a good deal. Uh, For anybody that is in need of a car, the absolute best time of the year to buy a car and to get the best possible deal is right after Christmas and right before New Year's because this is like the, the granddaddy of closings. It's the end of the year, and no one is buying vehicles in that period because everybody's just spent all their money on the holidays, so no one's got any freed up cash. So if you go in to buy something, they will sell their mother's soul to get you to take a car off the lot at the end of the year because no one's buying anything. So uh, this was this all sort of rolled upwards. The, the The more I got into sales and the more I understood about interactions, um, it just started to build little by little, and I understood that if you under if you If you know how to talk to someone, but you also know how to read them, you can pretty much get almost anything. You can get stuff for free just by asking nicely for it. And this wasn't anything that was really taught to me, like I said, by one person. It was something that was cumulative. And I would say that the last four or five years since I've been dealing with auction houses and I've been doing more sales, uh, it started to kind of rekindle a lot of the haggling, like I started to refine the haggling skills. And uh, it's just continued to get better and better, um, learning more and more as I do it. I think haggling is just like any other skill. The more you do it, the better you can get at it, as long as you're focusing on it. If you're not trying, then obviously you're not going to get better. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, haggling takes confidence, and it also takes a lot of patience. If you're not a patient person, you're you're not going to do well at, at haggling. If you if you like, uh, one of the things I read in the research was, it said that a lot of people see haggling as uh, dishonest or argumentative, and what I do is neither of those things. I am mm-hmm. very honest with people. And I, I try to be their friend. Like if you're do, if you're haggling properly, it's just a conversation. It should not feel like um, anything bad is happening because you don't want them to feel bad because then they're going to get uncomfortable and then they're not going to want to give you anything. Um, I know. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Tom.
1: No, uh, if yeah, it helps if the conversation is even entertaining to them and fun for them. Like that's, you just want to put people in a good mood and you do it genuinely, but you do it as a tactic. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. You're the reason that I am so good at telling stories is because that is my buy-in into most haggling situations. I've had a lot of people that are selling stuff. Okay. I had, I had one guy that had a bunch of tools I wanted and we were negotiating over the price. And I said, listen, I just got a storage unit with 400 tools in it for $200. I know I'm not getting that deal here, but that's what I'm used to getting. And right off the bat the guys he starts laughing he goes, well you're not getting that deal here but that man that's a great deal you got a great deal like automatically he's like, oh this guy has some skills you know so <laughs> it, it pushes you up a level. they, they have a, a degree of respect. For what you do, because they understand you're not just some idiot. You're you're someone that they can actually look at as uh you're, you're smart. You know who doesn't want to associate with someone that's smart. So that that all works in your favor. Uh, if you come off now, the only time that I will say um um appearing dumb is in your favor is if you're trying to pretend that. You don't know what the thing is you're buying. And the example that I will give is the same one I gave last week. When I stopped at that garage sale and the guy had the cigar box full of machinist tools, I just said, how much for these odds and ends? I didn't say, how much for these stare-at machinist tools that are worth a lot of money, (laughs) you know, because I didn't want to alert the guy, you know. I'm just like, how much for these parts, you know. Yeah. So, you know, you have to pick and choose where you sound smart. Um, but at the same time, I, the guy didn't know what they were.
1: There's a, there's a lot of good tactics out there. I think I think, you know, with our background in sales, it helps us, you know, we're always listening. We're listening very closely because we can take what you say and twist it, manipulate it. It's manipulation into Into something that makes us sound like we have something in common. It makes us sound like we're on the same team and they're just more willing to negotiate with you. You're trying
0: to turn them into a temporary friend. Yeah. Because when you have a friend, you feel like giving them things like, you know, friends come over and borrow things because that's what friends and neighbors do. Right. So if they feel like they're your friend, they're more likely to cut you a deal because they like you. Right. If they don't like you, the price goes up.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's a kid near me that I've been, I'll say coaching, but we're just friends, but he's 15 years old. I'm friends with his father and his family and such, but he is really into making things and he's, and he, he's got the bug to buy and sell tools. Uh, Cause I gave him that bug and he's been going kind of crazy lately, but i I told him I go dude you're 15. Go buy stuff for cheap because you're 15. Like people are giving him things based on his age because they like a kid that is into that. They like a kid that's a go-getter. They like, you know, heck, I gave him stuff. Like I'm a sucker. Like that's fine though. I'm, you know, I'm I'm feeding his his fire. And I'm like, dude, you're you have no way right now to make money at 15 except this and so go do it you know there's no reason you can't put hundreds of dollars in your pocket every week from going to your local flea market and he does he rides his bike to the flea market and buys things and if it's too big he comes back with his mother it's pretty impressive
2: well it probably works both ways as well i mean if he puts stuff out for sale and someone's helping out a 15 year old who's trying to make a buck and earn some extra money so he kind of gets it coming and going he gets a better deal on both sides so he's got a little bit of age arbitrage going there
1: yes uh, and I, to- I told him abuse it i'm like you know he's you know it's all good-hearted but i'm like use what you got like why wouldn't you you know
0: that's how it works you have to know your yeah. strengths and weaknesses and whatever those are you have to play on them
1: Yep.
2: yeah and for those who don't uh you know who just listen to the podcast and don't uh don't get to see us you know, in our Zoom call during the recording, uh, PJ looks like he's 15, so that, that helps.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, except for the beard. The white beard hair is starting to give me away.
2: It, yeah, but it kind of looks like maybe it's Halloween application or something, you know, like you're just trying <laughs> to look older so you could get into the flea market.
0: That's true, Burn. that's true. My, my, uh, my young looks have definitely got me some deals, yeah. Especially from, like, you know, the, the little old ladies that are selling stuff. Oh, hello there. You know, they're always pinching my cheeks.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, second darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy loop and stuff.
1: Hi, this is Luke down at Johnson's Hardware. Do you find haggling to be awkward and embarrassing? Well, we've got the perfect thing for you. Second Cousin Huxby's Haggling Mask. Wear it into your nearest thrift shop and let the mask speak for you. Simply tug on an ear strap and listen for the bargains to pour in. Tactics include... Hey, I'd buy that for $5. And... Ooh, my daddy has one of them. How about a buck? Also...
0: Oh, my granddad threw one of those out. How about free? Or... i trade you a pickle for that.
1: As well as... I got a half-eaten bag of chips. What do you say? and many more. You can get a 24-pack of Second Cousin's Huxby's Haggling Mass for $35.67 at Johnson's Hardware. Find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. Johnson's is not responsible for accepted deals, trades, facial rashes, or awkward feelings. May cause lip sweat and chin rashes.
0: What well, the heck nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tanda, what skill goes well with haggling?
2: Yeah, I think a skill that goes best with haggling is uh, is sales, because I think that where it really comes into play is if you're buying and buying and selling things. I think that's why I haven't really uh, tried to improve my skills. I'm usually just buying to hold something or to use it myself, and and if I don't get a great deal, it just means it's going to take me a little longer to uh, to make it pay for itself. So I I would have to say sells or buying and selling is a skill that
1: goes great with haggling.
0: That is a skill. Yes, you are correct. Tom, what skill goes well with haggling?
1: Probably one of my stronger skills. Um, You got to be able to do research very quickly to haggle properly.
0: Mm -hmm. I will agree that research is a skill. I don't think it's I don't, I don't agree with how you're comparing it to haggling, but it, it is a skill, so I'll let it slide.
2: I just found one of no. these on Google for $3.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to see, when you see that thing that you've never seen before, but you know it's a thing and it's not just junk, but you know that they think it's junk, you got to be able to research that thing real quick and then buy it for next to nothing. I'll give you one quick example. I was at a a garage sale. almost said tag sale and alienated the entire audience. I was at a garage sale, and there was uh, a table with what looked like a bunch of drafting things on it. The guy was a drafter. Is that the right word? An Draftsman. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Draftsman. He did drafting at some point in his life, and he had a bunch of stuff. A lot of pencils and lead and things like that. And I saw this really cool... Mechanical pencil, uh, pencil that had a push button in the back, like a clicky pen, but it didn't click. It just released the collet, which held the lead. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like Tanda put all of her fingers together, like uh, yeah, like a little like know, the like little like three prong grabber or a collet. Yeah. yeah. And it was really cool. I was like, that's really cool. Um, I just, like, I want that pencil. It can't be more than a couple bucks or whatever. So I also bought a bunch of other stuff in a box. And I was like, hey, how's five bucks? And they said, great. And I, and I bought it and I went home. And I Googled the pencil just for fun. And it's nothing significantly expensive. It might be like 20 bucks on eBay. But I noticed in the pictures, there was this thing, this, like, black blob next to these pencils. And I went... There was a black blob at the garage sale and it was a pencil sharpener. But it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before, and I know Tanda's seen this, but it looks like a gumdrop. Rotate it? Yes. Mm-hmm. She's already doing the motion. It looks like a big gumdrop, like a little smaller than a baseball. And you put the pencil in completely vertical and you spin it in a circle. And inside this gumdrop is a a a cup with abrasive on it, and it sharpens the pencil lead as you spin it around in a circle. It's super cool. You can even change the angle at which it will sharpen. So if you want a longer point or an, or a shorter point, um, really, really cool. So I was able to research that. Now, all right, I didn't research that quickly. I went home and realized that I should have bought that also, so I went back and bought another box of stuff. But research. Do your research.
0: So you kind of just proved my my point tom you don't you don't do quick research while you're there you have to know ahead of time
1: yes but it's this the but he knew when he, he knew when he went back yes but to to be clear the skill comparison is research not quick research i know i said quick research but sidebar
0: tanda tom is trying to
1: backpedal on this skill
0: set like he knew what he was talking about from the beginning and it's not making any sense the more he talks it just gets worse and worse
2: well, yeah, that's kind. Of, I thought that was what this whole segment was about—was just throwing something out there and then, and then, seeing if you could justify it, or at least that's what's in Tom and I's contract. It's like, uh, you know, it just says say something and then scramble to justify it.
0: Well, that's true. That, does, that is what the contract says. Um, all right. Well, okay. Well, then I, I guess I just have to let it pass.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could have done a better job of it, but he—he he
1: did okay
0: that's true that's true. oh it looks like he's waking back up again tom is that is yeah. that it
1: yeah yeah that's it um so now it's your turn for me to rip you apart what um what skill goes well with <laughs> what are we talking about today
0: haggling talking about haggling yeah oh. you know, <laughs> for the for the last 55 minutes we're, we're talking about haggling
1: oh i have a lot to talk about on that topic
0: uh i'm gonna say smooth talking If you're a smooth talker.
2: Smooth talking's not a skill. He's not going to just say smooth talking. He's going to say, I'm going to say smooth talk. Stop (laughs) it.
1: That's, that is so not a skill. It's so bad that you should just edit this out because it's not even worth arguing about.
2: Oh, I don't know. He may, he may have something like, I mean, if I walked up to somebody and I just started out with a story like, uh, you know, one time I bought a car right off the lot at list price on the second week of May. You know, that kind of that kind of get the get the juices flowing and, and, and they'd realize that I had no bargaining skills whatsoever. <laughs> and
1: then I could kind of slip something in. Yeah. I feel like Tanda is talking over PJ's um, need to smooth over that terrible comparison.
0: Oh, well, a smooth talker would go up there and say, you know, I walked into a car lot and they gave me a car for free. Just because it was my birthday.
1: <laughs> but you just told him it's not your birthday today.
0: <laughs> Which makes it even better, right?
2: And to, well, and you could and you could say, and it's my birthday again. So I was thinking. <laughs> and then they would just run. They would just run in fear. We had
0: a free trade-in and an upgrade.
2: Mom, mom, there's a man at the garage sale.
0: How about that black spinny thing? You don't really need that. How about a nickel kid?
2: You know. <laughs> Just totally misidentify it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, smooth yeah. talker.
0: Yeah, smooth talking is definitely a skill if, if you you're That's
1: worse than reading.
0: All you need is to get in front of someone that is an awkward speaker and you will know that smooth talking is a skill. You know, anybody that starts stuttering or gets super nervous or can't complete a sentence, they're not getting any kind of deal. They're they are lucky to buy the thing at full price. <sighs> I'm sick and tired of this bull pocket. Well, everyone, Tom has gotten into his head that it's his mission to try to make me angry. And he does things that he thinks is going to get a reaction out of me, but, but really it doesn't. And the latest thing he did was, if you watch his Instagram stories, he's got a vice outside on a metal table, and he spray-painted the entire thing, like all of it. The handle, the jaws, the anvil, the swivel lock. Everything that you have to touch, he spray-painted because he thought it would make me mad. But it's just stupid. That's all I got to say. It's a stupid thing to do. And so he he thinks that he's winning here. I'm just here to tell him he's not winning nothing.
1: You know the the way you presented this to our audience, the way you slowly listed all of the important components of the vice, is proof that it is eating you alive. <laughs> I would like to point now, out now. If you in the editing room, if you speed up your speech pattern, <laughs> I will. I will publicly shame you. Well, b- now you have to do it.
0: Well, first you'd have to listen to the episode to know that I sped it up, Tom. That would be what the are, first thing.
1: Yeah, it's,
2: I want to know right, what are what are win. what are the unimportant parts of a vice. Yeah, like can you take one know. jaw off or uh, or just? not put a handle on you don't on need it an anvil
1: an yeah no you don't you don't need an anvil I need oh, an anvil
2: unimportant um, and can you paint those I mean I I thought that all parts of a vice were were important whether you touch them or not
0: I love how Tom is speechless on it? this like he hadn't thought no. any of this
2: out <laughs>
1: I, yeah I did research on this said subject
2: <laughs> this was your idea Tom Tom, I think if you were to go out there and do research and type in, like, painting vices, PJ's feed would come
1: up. Exactly. Let's see. No, what what does it matter if you touch parts that are painted? What's the big deal? Uh, The parts that you touch, the paint's going to come off. Okay. And?
0: Okay, let me put it to you this way, Tom.
1: You've got more paint, right, Tom? I have more paint. I've got lots of paint.
0: Would you paint a fork? that you're eating with that's going into your mouth
1: uh no because i don't paint things that my tongue touches do you put any
2: part of a vice
1: in your mouth (laughs) stop licking vices dude they're jaws it's not a mouth they're called jaws
0: okay licking the vice is the fun part of my job Uh, so (laughs) leave me alone as far as what i'm doing with my own vices don't judge me. He's got,
2: a, he's got a point. He's got a point, Tom. You should definitely let the paint dry before you lick the vice. Give it a 24-hour well, period. Of course
1: you let it dry first before you touch it, too.
0: Anything that's moving or is going to come into contact with something that is going to take paint off... Yes. ...should not be painted. Okay? So, like, the 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 contact part of the jaws, like, where it's milled, you shouldn't paint that. Yep. Uh, the, okay. The neck or the slide that goes in and out of the static jaw, that should not be painted because it's rubbing against the body. So it's gonna scrape all the paint off. Uh, the handle, okay. again, the paint is just gonna come off. It's not gonna stay on there. Interesting.
2: But I thought Chom was painting it to, you know, for a rust inhibitor. So I think you should paint anything that could
1: possibly rust. Hmm.
0: I, I'm sorry, was there a question for me?
1: There's not, it was just a factual statement that completely crippled your argument. Not really. I have a question. You say the paint will come off. How long does it take? What What's the process there?
0: I don't know. 60 seconds? How long are you grabbing it? Well, I, I don't know what the answer to that is, Tom.
1: Okay. So it comes off pretty quick, right? Anything you touch, the jaws, the, the handle, things like that, right? Sure. Okay. So then why don't you completely paint all of your vices and just use them once? And then you don't have to mask. The paint just comes off immediately of all the areas it's not supposed to be on.
2: Oh, ah.
1: well, he's got a
0: point. Because unlike you, uh, I actually paint things to look nice. I don't like just dip them in a bucket and have them be one color like I bought them at Toys R Us.
2: Oh, I, I love those Toys R Us vices.
1: Yeah. T- Tanner, remind me after the show to buy a five-gallon bucket of black paint because I would <laughs> like to try the dipping thing.
2: You could just do creosote. I think, it's, <laughs> I think that would I think it's a good idea. be a good rust inhibitor.
1: What's creosote?
0: Tanda, I will pay. I will pay for the bucket of paint that Tom is going to dunk them in because I want to see the look on his face when he tries to actually open the jaws and the entire thing is gummed up with paint. I, I want that. I want Instagram stories.
2: Oh, you've got to, you've got to thin the paint before Ooh. you do that. You can't do like a, you know, like a full thickness paint. You got to thin it a little if you're going to be dipping. First of all,
1: I don't think you know how much paint costs, so I will take you up on that offer. <laughs> Any color you choose and five gallons of paint is like 150 dollars
2: if you find somebody you there's bound to be some out there at a garage sale or something with just an old bucket of paint if it doesn't matter what color then or you could just get Gross. like you know ten half gallons of paint just pour them all yeah, together you need a big into, into a big bucket a, yeah just
1: pour them all together the PJ, into a bucket and then PJ buying in the bucket dip it No, listen, the point of painting the entire vice is that this is an outdoor vice. Like, it is never coming inside. So I painted everything, and what happens is, in a week, two weeks, three months, four months, whatever, when I start to see metal again, I'm going to wipe it down, and I'm going to hit it with spray paint again.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And? All of it. Okay. All of it. It still looks stupid.
1: Why does this bother you so much?
0: <laughs> Have you not watched my channel? <laughs> the entire thing is about aesthetics. I make things look beautiful. You basically look like you just threw it in the dirt.
2: One man's uh, solid black vise is uh, you know
1: all right, but picture picture an old rusty truck and on the on the bumper, the rear bumper of the trusty old truck is a rusty old vise. And there's a meadow with a sunset behind it. Isn't that a beautiful image? And the vice is painted black? No, not yet. You. The point is you paint it after.
0: I don't know why you're bringing up Jimmy's truck at a time like this, okay? Jimmy took the vice off his truck a long time ago, Tom. It, this doesn't really make a difference.
1: He had a vice on his truck? I want a vice on my truck. I want a truck. And then I want to put a vice on it.
0: I, be- I knew you were going to get a truck like four months ago when you bought that trailer.
1: Oh, there you go. You get
2: the trailer first and then you got get a truck to go with it.
1: Yeah. It's gotta happen. Oh <gasps> I'll just put the put a vice on the trailer. You should, yeah. And paint it black. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. I think I'm gonna have to dip a vice. Anyways. This bothered PJ way more than he's letting on. You should have heard him crying on the pre show. <laughs> the only thing you did it, was just, make me laugh. It was, it was... <laughs>
0: That was it. You made I, me no, laugh. You know why
1: I did it? You, You know why I did it? I think, um, did Old Timey Tools post a a picture of um, maybe a Facebook Marketplace listing where the vice was completely painted? I did. Like, you did? Yeah, it was me. Oh. Maybe I read Juan's comment and thought it was him. Um, I I didn't realize it was you. That's, like, most of the motivation why I did it, just to, like, buck the norm, and just, like, it doesn't matter. Like, it... Well, let me, let me correct that. I appreciate a finely restored and painted vice. They're You're right. They're awesome. But at the same time, this thing is outdoors and going to get beat no matter what you do. And a little bit of spray paint is not getting in the way of this thing's functionality.
0: All right. Let, let me give you an example that you would understand, Tom. Let's say you bought a used vehicle. Okay. Let's say you bought a new truck, or not a new truck, but a used truck, new to you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's rusty. Mm-hmm. And you took a spray uh-huh. can. Okay. And with the exception of the windows and the headlights, you sprayed everything one color.
1: Yep. matte black.
0: Yeah, matte black. The door handles, the bumpers, the wheels, all the chrome, everything is black. Yeah. It's gonna look stupid.
1: I don't. I don't think so.
0: No one does that to a vehicle.
1: I don't think so. No,
2: that that's not true. I'm looking for pictures right now because there's somebody. <laughs> yeah. There's a truck that okay. I, I passed on my way from work daily. <laughs> uh, uh, that's let me rephrase that. Gold, gold rattle, golden white rattle can. Oh, you told us about
0: this. I think. Let me rephrase that. I, I'm not saying that there Wait. aren't people stupid enough to do it. I'm saying that it looks stupid. There are definitely people that have done it, and it looks horrendous.
2: Yeah, but even you up onto the windows. It. I mean, it was like there's a masked area about seven inches wide across the window mm-hmm. that isn't painted. But even up onto That's the windows, awesome.
0: yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm just saying you can do it. That doesn't make it not stupid, you know.
1: Now that it's fully painted, and I'll take a picture tomorrow in the sunlight and I'll post it on my Instagram feed, and just watch how many people like it and don't think anything's wrong. <laughs> I don't care. I don't really not care.
0: So, I encourage you to continue to do things that you think will make me angry, Tom. Whatever makes you happy, man.
1: Yeah, that's why I didn't do research today.
2: Hey, hey Tom. Tom. Sidebar. Yeah. L- l- let's not show up for recording next week, at all. Oh, brilliant. And just brilliant. just not, tell, oh, not not tell PJ oh, at all. Be... Yeah. <laughs>
1: all right, but on Sunday.
2: Oh wait, no. We sometimes do that. Let's let's we, we've already tra- we've already let's tried tell that. Tell
1: him it's Saturday. <laughs>
2: Oh, there he is. He's, he's simmered down. He's poured some water over his head, and he's back now. We, we better get back.
1: Doing okay, buddy? Yeah, I was
0: just thinking about that week off I had when we didn't record. I got a lot of work done.
1: I got a lot of
0: work done. All right, it's time for Short and Sweet. Tanda, do you have anything to wrap up the show?
2: I, I mentioned strange parts in the show and he's kind of changed his uh, YouTube a little bit since he's not been out of out of China for a while. but uh, that's a good one to follow if you're especially if you're into DIY electronics and experimentation and stuff and and building things in general. So that's a that's a good one to go check out on YouTube.
0: All right. Strange parts as versus normal parts. Tom, what about you? Normal parts? Do you have anything to wrap up the show?
1: Yeah, if you're not buying and selling things and you'd like to, uh, try it. A couple quick suggestions. Buy something that you want personally because you might be stuck with it because you bought it for too much. So be happy with what you buy. Keep buying that same thing until you build up your skills. So if you buy the same item, if you buy table saws, and you buy 10 of them and sell 10 of them, you're going to learn exactly what to buy a table saw for and what exactly to sell a table saw for. So keep it simple. Do that.
0: The more you get to, the more you familiarize yourself with a specific thing, the more you understand it, the more you know when you're getting a deal. Yes. I have purchased probably, I don't know, well over 100 bench vices. I am well versed in certain kinds of bench vices but i'm by no means an expert there are people that are far more educated than i am however if you're interested in bandsaws a lot of people ask me questions about bandsaws i've become somewhat of i won't say an expert but a knowledgeable person on bandsaws so this is if you want to get better you have to be involved you know reading about it only goes so far when you have a physical thing You learn more. You learn what breaks. You know what to look for. You know, if you're getting swindled, sometimes you think you're getting a deal, but you're actually buying something that is beyond repair, you know, like a cracked engine block on a tractor. But anyway, I would like to thank all our Patreon members who have been supporting the show for not quite a full year yet, but they include old-timey tools, our very own Tanda Madison.
2: That's what a poor bargainer I am. I, I'm 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 funding our own podcast.
0: Someone's got to.
1: You're laundering money. Is really what you're doing. That drives the point home.
0: There you go. There you go. Hey,
1: next week's skill how to launder money.
0: We're we're not we're not going to teach that, Tom. After Tanda, we have Ben makes KC, then Seth Williams, uh, Alan Scannell, Dave Bauer, and Lauren Beisch who's Tom's sister. Hmm. So I'd like to thank all our Patreon members. If you would like to support the show, please go to Patreon.com/forward/slash/MakerSkills. We've got many tiers. You can pick which one you like, and it really does help us. Recently, although you guys would not know it, we've been having some audio issues on my end. So I've been having to I had to buy some new equipment so that you know it still sounds good for you guys. That's one of the things we strive to do. Is even though the content lacks, we try to make it sound good, you know, for you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter, on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Welcome to The Simple Solution. All right. So Tom had a, an interesting problem. He wants Tanda and I to help him with an automated fire pit. I, I don't understand, Tom. What What exactly did you want? I want
1: to fix all of the issues that a bonfire pit has. Number one, the smoke gets in your face sometimes, and it feels like it's all the time. So how do we solve that issue? Campfire, bonfire, whatever you want to call it, call it a three-foot to four-foot round fire pit. How do we keep the smoke out of your face?
2: Oh, I yeah. I think you just turn turn the seats around where they, they face the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean— I, I think that that's probably the the best approach is just to, like, turn all the seats facing let out. Me, uh,
0: this is called let the me, simple um, solution, let Tom. Me,
1: it is the simple solution. You're right. I mean, I could just sit inside and watch the fire from from inside too. that would work
2: even better. oh no, no, then you have to then you have to put mirrors where you can still see the fire oh. and all the people sitting around.
1: Mm, I see I see let me let me clarify. I'd like to sit around a campfire facing the fire um and ex you know experience nature at the same time um but I don't want the smoke in my face. Now,
2: by experience, nature, do you mean like, like have a porta
1: potty built in to the seat, or? No, we have a we have a stone wall that we um, you have to pee on the wall or over the wall, but not before the wall. So that's oh. already figured out. Oh okay, okay.
0: So, so technically, you just don't want the smoke on your face. That's what you're
1: saying, right? Uh, as a figure of speech, I don't want the smoke in my face. Okay. 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 Now so that would be physically on my face. I want to be able to breathe without breathing in smoke.
0: Okay. Um, I, I've seen a couple makers use these. They've got these uh, fan-powered full face masks that filter the air so that you're you're breathing clean uh, air. That uh-huh. would definitely mm-hmm. do it.
2: Yeah, a respirator. Again, yeah, yeah. a respirator. Again, I feel like that's a good a full a good face
1: mask respirator would be a little intrusive. I it, it for me personally. Personally, I, you know, personally, I think it would remove me from the nature aspect a little bit. So let me to, to clarify. Oh, we can we can pipe in some pine scent. That's an interesting uh, option. Uh, I like that. That's cool. Yeah, pine scent filters for respirators. I think I think I we're see, onto I something. See. Yeah.
0: What hmm. if you just put one of those car air fresheners inside the mask?
1: I, I think we're heading in the wrong direction here. I I'm gonna back up a little bit. And I'm gonna say, no facial coverings. Okay, let's just go. Like, hopefully, that encompasses all of those ideas. Uh, I'm gonna say no facial coverings.
0: Okay, so then, like a Tim Sway bandana across your mouth, that's that's also out.
1: Uh, no. I. I. Or yes. Uh, I'm gonna say that's out. That's out. Okay. So. Well,
0: he agreed to it at first, Tanda. I think. Now you can wear one. You can wear
2: one if you want to wear one. So you're you're wanting to make a, a fire that uh, that that doesn't produce any smoke. So you want to have like a like uh, like a big propane injection fire.
1: Nah, no, I still I it, it'd be nice if it was wood burning. I have a lot oh, of firewood. Okay. It needs
2: to burn yeah. needs to burn wood.
0: I I've got an idea. I've got an idea, Tanda. So what if what if instead of dealing with the fire pit we dealt with the sitting position. So, what if the chair that you're sitting on had like a fan on each side of it? And so it was just constantly blowing towards the fire. And then if the smoke came your way, it would just blow it out of your way. So then it would never, it would never even get to you.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So it would be like a constant uh, the wind there.
1: That would work. I, I would, mean, are you could just would, use would the fans, hmm? would the fans be louder than the crackling fire?
0: I mean, I guess it depends on how big a fan you
2: want.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking they'd be, they'd be a little too loud. You'd have to pipe it in with duct
2: work. You could put the big fan, like, you know, half a mile away and then pipe it in with, with ducting. I think that would be the solution, to keep the fan noise away.
0: That sounds a little involved, but yeah, I guess you could do yeah.
2: that.
1: Yeah. Or, may- or maybe some Dyson fans we will just put... A $1,000 worth of Dyson fans on every seat. Oh, wait, wait, yeah, wait, you could wait, just wait, have, wait. You
2: could just have one big Dyson fan in the ground around the fire yeah. and it would just entrain the smoke and just shoot it straight up in the air.
0: Wait, uh, Tanda, I just remembered, Tom has kids. He doesn't need an electric fan. Just give them a giant, like one of those... A uh, uh, Japanese or Chinese fans, like a big one, and just have them stand next to you and just wave it back and forth, and that will blow the smoke
2: out of the way I mean that's what kids are for, right pretty much yeah, you could do that I mean it could be kind of boring for the kids, but since smoke is kind of like a particulate in the air i mean you can you can like burn up smoke um you know in the same same way that a candle you know works, so you could you could give the kids flamethrowers. I think they would like that a lot better. You could give the kids flamethrowers and just have them blast the smoke, just burn the smoke up between you and the campfire.
1: I I, I think I think you're I think that's very creative. I'd like to commend you for uh, a creative solution, but I'm gonna. Th- I'm gonna go ahead and say I think flamethrowers in the hands of a two and a half and six and a half year old is not gonna work out the way you think it is. Ooh. yeah, but but I've got a solution. I,
0: I I got to agree with Tom. I don't think that's safe, Tanda.
2: But if you made a mask out of weenies, then if they accidentally hit you, you you could play it off as just like roasting weenies. That'd
1: probably be perfect. But I did say no facial coverings, and
0: he did state that. Yeah,
1: a mask made out of hot dogs. Is uh definitely a facial is a covering? a facial covering? Yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yep.
0: Plus, I mean, if anybody if anybody sees that, they're gonna get called weenie head for the rest of their life. I don't think that's the that's yeah. The way to go.
1: That's I mean, that's not ideal. Yeah. I'd rather get smoke in the face.
0: Yeah, yeah, smoke face sounds much cooler.
2: There's that. How about if you just sit down below? What if you dig a big trench around
1: the fire pit and sit down yep. in the trench, below all the smoke? That- I I think you'd be sitting in a trench and and whether there's a fire or not, I think uh, is irrelevant. Uh, I don't I don't think you'd see the fire, hear the fire, smell the fire. I think that defeats the purpose of a fire. Oh, also, oh.
2: well, what if you put the fire yeah, on a yeah, big yeah, pedestal? Yeah. You know, maybe maybe a big clear pedestal full of wood.
1: Well, uh, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but I think hot air rises. So if you put the fire above you, there's again you're not getting any of the warmth ooh, from
0: the fire. Ooh, wait, wait a minute. That's that's not a bad idea. What if you had like a, a a big glass, like a I don't know what you would call it, but like a wall that goes around the fire, and so it it goes up like maybe let's say five or six feet, and so then the smoke is exiting. At six feet, you could still see the fire. You'd still get the heat, but it, the smoke would exit above. Even if you're standing, it would it would be above your position.
1: Are you Are you describing a glass cylinder?
0: Yeah, yeah, but like a giant glass
1: cylinder around just the fire pit. Yeah. Hmm, that would be super cool. I th- I, th- I think that exists. Um, does it exist? I'm pretty sure that exists. Yeah.
2: I'm guessing. I'm. You could do a campfire size, uh, big quartz cylinder. That would would be uh, expensive. That'd be luxurious. I think
1: it'd be a little expensive. Like tens of thousands of dollars for something that large. Nah, nah, not that much.
2: No way. Oh, well, that's not bad. You could sell a couple (laughs) old drill presses. You could do that, and if it didn't work out, you could keep Willie in it. Who's Willie? Just fill it up with water and get yourself a pet whale. Oh, that Willie.
0: I mean, you don't even need to have a perfectly round cylinder, and you probably could build it yourself. You just need some glass... Um, you could well think of it like Ooh. if you made like a bunch of like welded um, windows like you just welded some windows together yeah. you made it hinged so you know you could yep. just you could put it around the fire and the whole thing is like you know adjustable in size you know it doesn't need to be like okay. a solid glass cylinder it could be like a bunch of like movable windows that are all hinged together to make a circle and you know you could safety glass yeah safety glass heat heat resistant be a
2: big fire hexagon you probably wouldn't want to use double pane glass or anything like that cuz I mean, uh-huh. you do want
1: to feel the heat. Would insulate it out. <laughs> All right. What happens when like a a branch falls out of the trees that are covering it and lands on it and shatters it? Oh,
2: you're gonna need more glass.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, more more glass is the solution. I see. You got
0: to use the safety glass, the kind that's got the wires going through it. You know that 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 mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. glass, the old vintage glass that's got the wires going through it. They still make that. You know, I've seen Jimmy. Jimmy's ordered some, so you can you can still get that.
1: I feel like, uh, technically, that's not a face covering, but I feel like it still obstructs your view to the fire.
0: Oh no! Wait. If you're it, you're only going to see the wires if you're right up on top of it. They're they're thin thin wires. Won't the
1: wires heat up, and like explode from within the glass? Uh,
0: wires don't explode, Tom.
1: They do if they're. You
0: could heat the wires.
2: You could you could uh, extend the wires out of the glass and into the fire. That's true. And then heat the glass I... with them
1: wires don't explode tom
2: (laughs) be like a pyrex cooktop
0: i mean the best you could hope for is that the wires get hot enough to melt the glass but i mean even that's That's, a stretch you know you you, got to have some some heat resistant glass to begin with
1: you know what i'll try the glass thing uh it's about as good as i'm gonna get here i think
0: i think we fixed this problem tanda i think we did a good job
1: there we go a
2: few pieces of glass tom's all set (laughs) i knew we'd come up with something
0: so did i so did i Was there a solution? I'm not sure.